yes, a very warm welcome to to everyone who has joined us today. Um, as you know, you probably scan through the screen at the moment and you would see friends from ISKL, teachers, staff, and parents, and friends from Malaysia and across the world. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Salamat datang KISKL and here in Malaysia. As you join, make sure that you, you have typed in your names, where you are signing in from, and share what you hope to gain from our session today so that Karen, Ebony, Chris, Daniel will be able to find some of those connections from their questions um, and from their sharing today. A little bit of framing around Vox ISKL. It is a virtual platform for learning that supports our continuous growth here as a school community in our commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, or DEIJ. This year, educators and leaders at ISKL continue to harness our collective capacity to learn and reflect on the principles and practices on DEIJ. We have intentionally set up work in our K-12 committees to courageously challenge ourselves to research and learn and to take actions. We are committed to our work in DEIJ because we believe that it is the responsibility of schools to protect our children and adults against exclusion, discrimination, and injustice. We want to build on our I-scale culture of kindness, care, and empathy by creating conditions for children and adults to thrive and succeed in our authentic self. Given all that we are, we will become more diverse when our school is safe, caring, equitable, and inclusive. When we have all these conditions at our schools, we can participate, lead, thrive, without leaving any part of who we are. Bettina Love, author of We Want to Do More Than Survive, author of an abolitionist teaching um, resource and book, wrote, what good is an education if you must shed who you are? Today's Vox ISCAL centers on supporting students' authentic identity development and why it is important for us to have a deep understanding of ourselves and our children's expansive, evolving, and intersectional identities. Daniel will walk us through lenses, complexities, and shifts of mindsets around the learning of identity. Karen, Chris, and Ebony will share with us their perspectives around identity-centered learning as educators here at ISCAL or based on their previous experiences. A few reminders, please stay on mute. We love screens with moving faces, but we also understand that if you prefer to turn off your camera. We will be making the recording available on YouTube and Spotify. And continue to type in your questions in the chat box. And please remember that as you develop your questions, we will ask questions because we seek to be enlightened, to understand diverse perspectives, to clarify and to support us in our growth. And these are the types of questions that we expect from, from everybody today. So now it's time to introduce today's panel. I'd like to get started by introducing um, Karen Callahan. She is perpetually intrigued by the intersection of literacy and identity-centered learning. Currently, as a grade five teacher, the heart of the work in her class is using stories, our own and published, to build community and make connections with our world. Her previous experience in the United States and South Korea includes elementary teaching, middle school English teacher, and K-6 instructional coach. Karen holds a master's degree in educational psychology, a master's degree in international leadership, and a certificate in teaching culturally and linguistically diverse learners. Thank you for joining us today, Karen. Our next panelist, um, Ebony Manning, as the IB and AP coordinator at ISKL, Ebony is committed to the concept of education as a space for students to explore who they are as people and to seek understanding about the world around them. She holds a bachelor's degree in philosophy and a master's in social studies education. Her teaching experience includes US and world history, as well as philosophy and theory of knowledge for the IB Diploma Program. And she taught in the US, Honduras, and Brazil before coming to Malaysia. We're so happy that you're here with us, Ebony. Our third um, panelist, we have Chris Nalen. He is an um, early childhood educator who strives to develop learning communities where children see their identities reflected back at them but also find windows to explore the infinite possibilities of the world around them. 
through play, they can, he believes that they can share of themselves and actively construct their multiple identities in a safe and welcoming space. Chris holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Music Performance and recently completed his Master's in Childhood Studies and Early Years, completing his dissertation exploring the views of his students on their own multiple identities. He has previously taught right across the elementary age range in, in the state schools in London in the United Kingdom. You will hear Karen, Ebony, and Chris after Daniel's presentation during our panel discussion today. At this point, I would like to introduce to you our guest expert today, who has joined us for um, Fox ISKL. We'd like to welcome um, Daniel Wickner into the ISKL community. He is the founder of Identity-Centered Learning, a framework for supporting students' identity development in schools. This work builds on culturally relevant, culturally responsive, and culturally sustaining pedagogies, and is informed by his own biracial, multicultural, and multilingual identity. Along with his 12 years in international education, Daniel currently teaches third grade at Hong Kong International School and supports international schools as a consultant and presenter in the areas of identity and DEIJ. Daniel holds a Bachelor of Science in Engineering, a Master's of Science in Engineering, and is completing a Master's of Education in Independent School Leadership. Thank you, my friend, for leading our learning today. Dan, on, on to you. Thank you, Joel, and a huge thank you to the iScale community and the organizers of Vox for setting up this experience for us today, uh, Francis, Crystal, and Afika, um, and also to the panelists. So I'm looking forward to hearing from later on Ebony, Karen, and Chris, um, and also to everyone here, um, the attendees here in this session. To be honest, I feel like this is a major win, um, just seeing this many people here right now thinking and talking and reflecting and sharing about identity. I feel like this is just a major, major win because to me, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to get us talking more and thinking deeper about this. And I can tell we're already down that path. So why identity? Why does it make a difference? Why should we care? We care, I mean, we're here, we clearly do care. Um, before I move on, I just wanted to make it clear that I only have a short amount of time to share a small pocket of this with you. And so I do encourage you to learn more uh, by going to my website, identitycenter.com, connecting to social media, but perhaps more importantly, to engage with the giants upon whose shoulders this work stands. This, this I am standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, when I do develop this work and, and share this thinking. Um, and I do encourage you to screenshot and check these out. So what is identity? I feel like that's a question that we can continue to ask. We all have different ideas and, and interpretations of the word identity. Um, and the word has, can become a pretty powerful word, especially these days. We should have different definitions of this. My goal today is for us to just grow whatever definition we have to broaden and expand whatever our current interpretation of identity is. And one way that I like to sort of grow and expand my view of identity is through what I call the dimensions of identity. Um, being sort of a science and engineering geek, for me, I like to think in dimensions and thinking about whenever you add a dimension, it just makes things bigger, more complicated, and just more impressive. And so thinking about this in terms of dimensions, one dimension of identity being our identity aspects, um, how we, finish the sentence, I am, I identify as. So any word that describes you that can be on the end of that, that would be considered an identity aspect. And this is how we, most of us would interpret identity. But there's another dimension to consider, which is the time dimension, the time axis, that who we are, we haven't always been exactly the same, that we have, that we were, I was something, I have become something else, or into the future, I want to become, or I will become, or I am becoming. So who, each of our aspects also has a journey. Each aspect of who we are has changed throughout time. And this is not just true for us as adults, but of course, for our children and students. There's another dimension though, that I perceive, which is the identity perspectives, that who we are and who we see ourselves as 
that might differ from how others see us. Although I do believe that our own perspective on our own identity is the most important, other people will see us in different ways. And we have to be aware of those perspectives as well. So this is already getting pretty complex. And then you multiply it times 7.8 billion. Just to me, it's mind boggling how much identity diversity there is on our planet. We have everybody with a unique set of aspects, unique journey, and a unique set of perspectives on that identity. Um, so for me, this just kind of makes my brain start to expand and see that identity is something really expansive and not narrow. Just to even zoom in on identity aspects, these are just some aspects of identity. I'm not gonna go through these one by one, but just to kind of show that this is only some aspects of identity that we have developed as human beings and our children and students are developing currently in their lives in school and out. And these aspects, we might have multiples of each of these aspects. I, for one, have multiple cultural identities. I have multiple racial identities. Um, and our students are developing and our children are developing these as well. And they're coming to terms with these sort of dual identities, especially in international school spaces. But it gets even more complex. These identities, identity aspects, they can overlap and intersect with each other. For example, cultural identity and national identity, although not exactly the same thing, they intersect, they interact with each other. And to sort that out, I mean, if you're not getting dizzy already just looking at this, to me, that feeling is the feeling that I feel when I look at a student in my class that they are grappling with all of this every day. Okay, I'll take away this slide so that we don't have people falling over. The, the big idea is that identity is complexity. To me, this is at the center, that whenever we're talking about identity, we're always complexifying. We're always moving away from simplicity. And instead of trying to fit things into boxes, we're really unraveling or attempting to unravel and articulating our complex identity stories. And I'll start. Um, so there's a lot going on in this picture and I don't have time to tell my whole life story, but there's two kids in the photo. One of them's me, one of them's my older sister. And we're both wearing Korean hanboks. This was at my doljanti, which is my, my first birthday celebration. Um, okay, there's Korean cultural identity in there because my mother's family is originally from Korea but we're also standing on Japanese tatami mats uh, because my mother's family was um, moved from Korea to Japan before she moved to the United States. Um, and behind us, there's, ja uh, there's Korean porcelain, there's Japanese wall hangings. Oh, and all of this is actually in Maryland in the United States. So there's just a lot of just cultural, national, linguistic uh, identity. There's a web. And I'm in the middle of this, my sister's in the middle of this, and we have no idea. We were born into that. We were dropped into this identity soup. And it's been my life, my life's work to kind of find my way through this and to make sense of it all. At this time, I was also developing a linguistic identity. At this time, I spoke mostly Japanese. Um, but then once I, went to, once I went to school in the United States, that Japanese evaporated. Um, a linguistic identity was transformed alongside a cultural and a national, and in many ways, a racial identity alongside that. So I mentioned how identity connected to my education. So how does it connect to education in general? So thinking about these three aspects of the world that our children and students inhabit, we're going through, they're, they're navigating their way through home, school and society, back and forth, across and over. And as they go through life, just as I did from that photo and onward, they're winding their way through along an identity journey, slowly learning more about themselves, but it's not a direct path. It never will be. Hopefully by the end, they have a deeper and broader understanding of themselves, but ultimately they're the ones who are driving through along this path, their identity journey. And this sort of car analogy is, is one way that I like to think about an, a developing identity. And the questions that surround that, that developing identity, first of all, who's driving? Who gets to drive this car? Who gets to navigate where this identity goes? Who this person becomes? 
Who's riding with me? What groups or people do I identify with along this journey? And what's out there? What are the possibilities for who I can be? Who's supporting and mentoring me along this journey? What tools do I have to develop and understand my identity? And ultimately, who owns this car? Who owns my identity? Ultimately, that's the core question of identity-centered learning. It's the question of ownership and owning our identities and allowing our students and children to fully own their identities and the process, the long, lifelong process of developing them. So coming back to this diagram, it's these, the ones in yellow at the top, that identity-centered learning looks to place fully in the hands of children and students. And the ones in purple below are the ways that we as adults can support and provide environments and empowerment through. So students and children are owning their identities. And it's easier said than done. There's a lot of what we do as adults and as schools that violates this boundary. But what can we do? Well, we can share with students what's out there. What are the possibilities of who they can be? What are the identity possibilities of what they can inhabit in the future and in the present? We can provide support and mentorship and we can share tools for how we can identify, how we can grow our identities. Not telling students who to be, but how to become. So ultimately, it comes back to this idea that students do the identity development. We are not developing students. And I think this is where education needs to take a shift. That schools and educators providing the environments, the resources, the practice, practices, and the mentorship around to support the process. Because ultimately, it's my opinion, my belief that education at its deepest level, peeling all the layers back, is the process of identity development. Education is identity development. Whether or not we realize it, whether or not we realize the impact that our environments are having on student identity, it's happening. And so to take a step back and to look at education through an identity lens, I believe is really important to look at what we do as schools and to think about, is this the impact that we wanna have on students' identities? What impacts are we having? What impacts do we want to have? And are we really empowering them the way that they deserve? So thinking about school, not as a place simply of learning, but an identity laboratory where students are tinkering with, constructing, trying on and exploring who they are and who they want to be. Curriculum, as opposed to just being, okay, this is just what we teach, but being content for connection. How can we allow students to find connection with what we're doing? That it doesn't mean anything unless they can connect with it, unless it's relevant to them. Teachers, not just as transmitters of learning, but as identity mentors, as I mentioned before, not teaching students who to be, but how to become. Schoolwork, not just as something that we do to grow our skills, but deepening those connections with skills that actually matter to us in our lives. Recess, and this, this reminds me of um, Chris's focus on play. Recess as social identity exploration, that this is intentional time. Assessments, rather than just ranking students or assessing student ability as two-way communication. Parents and families as teammates in this process. Because if there's anybody more important than teachers for students in supporting their identity development, it is parents and families. And lastly, looking at people all around us as identities along identity journeys. To me, looking at education this way has fundamentally transformed how I teach and why I teach. So there's some mindset shifts that we can make. Um, and these mindset shifts, they can happen quickly or it might take some time to kind of settle into these things, but moving beyond this box, because we have a, tenden we have a tendency to try to simplify as humans. And we need to shift, shifting from this simplicity to complexity. Because to adequately respond to the complexity of student identities, we need to complexify our thinking and to complexify how we do things. 
Of course, we know that structural shifts are needed too in our schools. Doing identity work inside the classroom is not a substitute for DEIJ growth. It's a part of it. It supports it. So what are some of these shifts that we can make? First of all, using identity to simplify ourselves and others, we need to shift that. Shifting it to using identity to explore and uncover the complexity, nuance, transformation, and intersectionality that already exists. If you think your identity is simple, or your child's identity is simple, it's not. It just means that we have not taken the time to really examine it, to really try to articulate what it means. A very common example of this um, is in conversations with white colleagues and um, white friends, people saying, I'm, I'm just a white guy. I'm just white. Well, what does that mean? And for me, as someone who is half white, I've needed to really look into what it means to have a racial identity, a white racial identity. What does that actually mean in terms of how did, how did that affect my life growing up? How does that affect me now? And how does that make me think in different ways? So instead of trying to simplify ourselves and put ourselves into boxes or others into boxes, use it as an opportunity to explore and uncover that complexity. Another shift that identity can be separated from academics. I was reminded of this uh, in Karen's introduction about how she uses literacy to imbue and connect writing with identity. The shift to realizing that children's identity development deeply affects and is affected by their intellectual development within schools. So students learn for real when they can connect what they learn to who they are, otherwise in one ear out the other. There is a perception that sharing about who we are is always a good thing. Sharing is great, but sharing also assumes that we have everything sorted out. Disclosing about ourselves can be challenging when we're still sorting it out, or we feel like parts of ourselves are not welcome. Respecting everyone's timeline is important, especially children who are on the beginning stages of their identity journey. And lastly, that we can be student-centered without thinking about identity. It's intentional that I created the title identity-centered learning. It was a response to student-centered learning, which I feel like has become a buzzword because the true student-centered experience is impossible if a child needs to leave parts of themselves at the door. We need to center identity development to really be truly student-centered. And that brings me to the quote that Joel shared on Twitter, but also just now. What good is an education if you must shed who you are from the incredible Bettina Love. And to take it a step further, what good is an education if it doesn't empower you to truly understand who you are? Oh, wow. Thank you, Daniel. You've, you've definitely stretched um, our thinking. I mean, for me, I was just thinking about my own socialization, my own identity development as I continue to evolve and, and expand and, and think about who I am in relation to others and in relation to the work that we do with, with children. And that's, that's really powerful, brilliant. And thank you for, for, for enlightening us, giving us some, some ideas and thoughts. Um, and right now we will be moving into um, the next part of our um, Vox IXKL today. And, um, we're now going to listen to our panel who will respond to some of the questions that we have today. And it really is in connection to what Dan's presentation is about, but also bringing in and illuminating some of those experiences they have as educators. So I'm going to get started with the first question around implications and impact. What are your thoughts around the absence and the presence of identity-centered learning in the classroom? And so what impact and implication does it have on students' identity development? So we now um, would like to give it to either Karen, Chris, Ebony, who would like to share their thoughts around that. I'll jump in. Um, thanks for having me here today. And thank you, Daniel, for such an enlightening presentation. Um, I think uh, for me, I think about my experience as a student um, when in terms of really being able to differentiate between my experiences in classrooms where identity was considered and classrooms where identity was not considered. 
Um, and I don't think that teachers always meant any harm by kind of just treating everyone as if they were all the same. Um, but in some subjects, for example, that I was really passionate about, like social studies, learning about history without considering, for example, who is in the room and how looking at this history might impact them. Um, I think if teachers are kind of aware of that and create spaces for, for students to really bring their identity to the history that they're learning, um, it creates an, a more enriching experience. And you can kind of think about ways that teaching history in certain manners might do harm to some people based on their identity. Um, so I think that absence is really felt from the student level. Um, and so the presence is, is really important. Well, and I can jump in there being on the other end of the school with with the youngest learners, it's it's seeing that, you know, so much of what Daniel said, and, and thank you, Daniel, for your presentation today. The, you know, they really are as, you know, early, early uh, years, children, they're right at the beginning of that journey of developing it. And we want to create a space where they can play and explore that and see, I've always, the thing that's responded to me was really the idea of like, well, how do they know what's out there? You know, there's a bit of that, how do I know what my options and my identity are if, if I'm not exposed to things. So there's there's that that responsibility that I feel really strongly um, that we need to provide those spaces. And so it's sharing those range of stories and, and, and sharing the di diversity. But I, I think it's like, there's the absence, but also then when you see, when you do try something and you do something, the response to the, the, the children's response sometimes when they suddenly make a connection you know, to some part of their lived experience in, in what you were doing. And I have a concrete example of like, you know, we were doing a reading assessment. Uh, it was an online thing. So it's it's hard to, to find sometimes a, a one size fit all thing. And I could see some of the examples going, well, I'm not sure my kids know what, you know, mom put the pie in the oven is. Is that gonna be hot? You know, is that gonna be difficult? Okay, that's interesting. So I'll take that into account when I'm looking at the data. And then I was reading a story that had, you know, a group of, um, animals, it was a group of monkeys, and one was passing some fruit down, and I, I mistakenly said, oh, look, this, we're talking about how they're being kind for Kindness Week, and they were saying, oh, this monkey's passing a banana to someone else, and, and pretty much all my kids shouted out, that's not a banana, that's a mango, because my kids live in Malaysia, they know what a mango is, because it's, it's relevant even just to their daily experiences, so that was this big moment of just, you know, it just really made sense that the, our curriculum in every aspect, if, the more we can connect to the lives of our children, yes, while also gradually widening it at every stage, we, you know, we get those stronger bonds and connections. Thank you to both of you. And I, I love the fact that Ebony and Chris just started with that, that hyper-focus on our student and Ebony thinking of our own experience and then Chris building on and thinking about it from our, for our younger years. And I think for me too, I even think about this even from us as educators and teacher lens also and that that absence and that presence of it and that it it really does start with that personal journey for us as a teacher and that with that personal journey to be able to step into that journey, I myself have to be vulnerable and realize that I don't have all the answers um, and that um, there's gonna be scary moments and scary moments with my fifth graders in the classroom. And so being able to make some of those subtle shifts um, with that identity-centered learning so that we can open up to more resources, so that we can um, kind of allow for more freedoms and conversations. Um, I think one of the shifts that I've made in my classroom this year that I found the most powerful is every morning we have a daily dedication. And in all wonderful teacher forms, I stole this from somebody else, so I cannot take credit for it. Um, but we simply start our day in our morning meeting circle, and um, it's anywhere from, you know, my, my new to English uh, learners who start with a sentence or two. I had a student the other day who dedicated our day to Dora the Explorer because Dora was her first exposure to English, where she started off to students who then talk about the sibling that's leaving for university that day. And so it simply is literally a minute of my day 
where it allows my students identity in a safe place to be able to enter um, into that and to have and to have that conversation. And so um, I think before I can even get there, we can start to think about it. We as teachers or educators have to start to do a little bit of that personal work and start that work, which itself I think is the hardest step for us to be able to do. Thanks to thanks to all of our panelists. Thanks, Karen, Chris, Ebony, for, for your experiences and, and some of their insights around your own personal journey um, on in unpacking your own identity. At the same time, it's also what are the impact that it has on, on our kids. Um, I'm gonna throw in the next question, and unless Daniel has something to, to share as well with the first um, first question. All right, I'm gonna type in um, the next question. It's educators, what impactful changes do you hope to see as a result of pedagogical shifts with identity centered in our learning spaces? Um, what challenges might you be able to identify as we make some of these shifts? Um, so yeah, Dan shared with us around that pedagogical shift. So what might, what might it be? How might that look like? Um, and what are the challenges that you've experienced around those um, shifts? I can go first. Um, I, I think the biggest shift is, is and I like to, uh, Daniel talked a lot about this idea of the, the journey and the process. And I, I think that's the biggest way education needs to change because actually, I mean, the reality is the facts, the knowledge, we can, we can get most of that. You know, once you, you are confident and literate, you can get the information you need in terms of facts and knowledge. So it's developing those skills. So why not have more focus on the process, on the, 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 you know, figuring it out, making mistakes, trying things, trying different, different avenues. You know, I think that's the, the, the number one shift because, you know, the facts were no longer the teachers as like, I have all the information. My job is to pass it to you, you know, and I think too often, I mean, even, you know, at our school, we call it this, the teaching and learning, you know, department, you know, it's like teaching still comes first or, you know, and, it's that shift of like, well, but that's, you know, we're, we're there to help, you know, move it along. And I think that's, it's a, it's a different uh, frame, you know, in a different way of that already, if you shift that, 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 um, that view, then it, it will, you know, switch things up. Chris, I think adding on to what you said, I think one of the biggest changes that I would love to see is as we continue to evolve and how we plan for the student center in front of us at all times. And what are those, um, you know, structures, we can kind of go to some of those, you know, buzzwords or big ideas around transdisciplinary units or looking at PBLs or how are we, con how are we connecting those? And I think as we can continue to evolve and elevate the concepts that we're looking for our kids to be able to do, how are we in our planning being intentional about the students that are in front of us? And also knowing and holding space for the fact that that teaching and planning is is difficult and is hard. And a lot of times if I'm teaching fractions, it's hard for me to be able to say and think about the identities of my students. But I think when we think about that as a systematic shift, how is that not just a one off? in terms of what I do, but how do I put at the center of my planning and with all my conversations of with my team, the identities of my students um, there. And I think that's one shift that can really start to have, um, have impacts in the classroom and start to build our collective knowledge together to help each other grow as educators. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think um, in thinking about this question, I, I feel like I have to acknowledge that. Um, we have a, a very particular challenge in, in the higher grade levels where things tend to start to get very, very content focused, especially when you have like external exams. My job here at ISKL being the IB coordinator, I see this a lot where there's this entire curriculum that's sort of handed um, to teachers and there's a lot of pressure to get through it in a way that um, the students can be, you know, successful um, on the exams. And so I think the shift from just really very being very content focused to finding ways to learn everything that you need to learn, but still allow students to interact with this content in a way that respects and gives space for their identities. So um, for example, I can, I can remember back when I taught in the United States, I, um, 
talking to U.S. history teachers and this joke being thrown around the room that, you know, oh, there's so much that you have to learn in U.S. history. If you get past the Vietnam War, you're doing well by the end of the year. Um, and so much has happened in the years since those conversations were had around me. Um, so maybe we need to make a shift from just trying to learn chronological history to thinking about what we really want students to take away from this history course, and then providing space for them to select the content that might connect the most with their identities. So there are things that we can do even in very content heavy uh, contexts to still create space and encourage students to bring who they are to the learning that they're doing. Thanks, everybody. That's that's so powerful. Like that that line that you have, Ebony, around bringing who they are in the in their most authentic selves without leaving any part of who they are um, in our own spaces at school is so critical. Um, Baya has also written some comments in here on the chat, so I invite you to also have a look at the the chat in and listen to lean in to some of those um, comments from our colleagues um, who are participating us online. Um, thanks for that. The, the, the last question that I have is really around sort of application and transfer now. We know that it's not only us in school who has a sole responsibility in this identity development. Daniel has shown us that kind of multi-layer of identity, of, of context where our kids are so engaged in, they're immersed in that. It's home, school, society. Um, what advice do you have for other educators, school leaders, and families as they center and nurture the evolving, intersectional, and expansive identities of children? I can start with this one. Um, as I started with my bio, I'm passionate in my classroom about the narrative and about stories. And so I think my, my number one advice would be for kids to read, read widely, read what is banned, read is what is told you not to read. And like Chris talked about earlier before, kids don't know who they are until they're exposed to those stories. And so I think we have an absolute responsibility um, to continue to, through books and through stories and through narratives and that connection, to be able to, um, to connect to those stories. And then through that, you know, as one of the things we've started really talking about here at the elementary diocese is the idea of those windows and mirrors. Right, and how am I able to be able to see myself in that narrative, and how am I then just as important, right? Especially from our, from kids who come from places of more privilege or more power, how am I able to be able to connect and to see other stories through that, so that I can be able to learn? So I think learning through the narrative and learning through stories, both at home and at school, is really an imperative um, part of our work that we do. I think um, this idea of creating spaces, we can do that here in school, but uh, I think in partnership with families at home, um, because sometimes some of the same challenges that teachers face in really nurturing students on their identity development journey can happen at home. You know, people tend to bring their own experiences and their own identities to their interactions with, with children. Um, and, and so I think creating spaces where students, where, where kids can just be themselves and kind of explore, like Karen said, exposing themselves to lots of other different identities and other stories to see what they connect with. Um, because there are many different aspects of their identity that are very unseen. And even the way that a student learns is a part of their identity. Um, so there are many, many, many different aspects and students need to just be given time and space, both at school and with their friends and at home to kind of explore. Well, and I think with any uh, shift, like Ebony mentioned, bringing the families along and parents. I mean, if we're making a big shift in education, if we're trying to change the way we think about things, we need to share the, our reasoning or our thinking with, with, with our families because everyone's juggling what they were brought up with and balancing. And, and we all have these multiple influences, you know, as Daniel talked about those, you know, we have identity aspects that are labeled on us and, and, you know, basing on, on what we know. So we needing to sort of bring everybody along and open that dialogue to really make make changes so that it is something that can be supported um, for the child from all around. 
And to, to build on all of these great suggestions, I would also add um, the idea of reflecting openly. I think this is something that we all can do more of. I don't know about everyone else, but when I was a kid, I just kind of assumed that all adults kind of had themselves figured out, um, but we don't. And I think that when we show our students and our children and others you know, around us that we're on an identity journey that's still going and that we're still figuring ourselves out, that we're still reflecting, and we just share that, I think that's a really powerful way to start conversations and to kind of drive our identity journey car alongside our children, alongside our students, um, and to share the strategies that work for us and what we're still thinking about. Thanks, Dan, Karen, Chris, Ebony, for all your thoughts around um, identity development, but also one thing that really resonated with me is around that idea of ownership and co-construction, um, the whole idea of identity erasure and identity presence. Um, they're so powerful. There are a lot of comments in here as well. Matt has a comment here. Um, Emily also has a comment here. And Christina, thank you so much for adding your thoughts um, in the chat um, and further illuminating and adding to, to the conversation. Um, if, there's, if there are any other comments from, from our participants, feel free to type them in or you can also unmute your microphone and feel free to join in the conversation if you have something to, to share with everybody. I know we have about 15 minutes more into the, into the time, but um, yeah, we welcome some of your thoughts in resonance and wonders and questions. If I might um, sort of respond to Matt's really great question. Um, to me, Matt, that, that question that you have is one that really inspired a lot of my work and not being in an international school and then arriving in the international school community and seeing so many students who I connect with on a multicultural level, but then seeing that they were sorting things out without the supports around them. And, and so for me, I feel like it's, in terms of advice, I feel like it's a multi-pronged thing where children need to see mirrors. They need to see people alongside them who have a similar journey, but also they need to see that everyone's journeying, that just because they're different, that that doesn't necessarily mean that they're the only one who's different. I know that's a simplistic answer, but there are so many supports within school and outside that need to exist for your child and others to really take ownership over their identity and ultimately be able to tell their ongoing story. I think that's a really good point. Um, I, I had that experience of kind of growing up in different cultures and kind of moving back and forth between places and spaces where I was an extreme minority versus places where I was the majority. But because I was spending so much time as a minority in those other spaces, I didn't really completely feel comfortable in the places where I where my obvious identities uh, would have been considered the majority. And that's a very difficult thing for, for students to try to deal with. I think something that, um, that helps is seeing opportunities for exchange. Whenever you can make connections, not only uh, with people who are like you, who you may not always have access to, but with other people where you can share a part of your identity with someone who can also share a part of their identity with you. And I think that helps out with what Dan was saying about um, seeing that everyone is on, is on an identity journey. And you can kind of find, find your people and find your space to be comfortable, even around people who are very different from you. Yeah, the power to that too is that the whole idea that when we ident we we have this deep reflection, like what Rebecca has written here around understanding consciously and subconsciously, it also allows us to to deeply interrogate some of those overt and covert biases um, and ideas that we have that we've been so socialized to to think about and grow grow up with, and and unpacking that and seeing what might it be that can be transformed um, in order for us to be able to become. Um, more connected um, in, with our humanity. Um, Shireen also has written some thoughts in here. Um, so I invite you to um, look into some of the feedback that are shared on the screen. Erica and AD has also some other questions. So anyone else from, from Daniel, Karen, Chris, or Ebony might want to respond to some of the questions that are brought into to the chat. Feel free to, to do that. Well, I, what, what I've been thinking about was this this reflection period be, a point because you know I grew up in in Toronto, Canada, 
and a few weeks ago, uh, a few months ago, we did some training here where we made identity webs. And, you know, for me, when I made my identity web, you know, all of those match the dominant dominative narrative where I grew up. So, and I have memories of thinking that my, like thinking that I almost didn't have a culture because I could see it was more evident in other people that it's like, oh, well, we're gonna celebrate this thing. And so you have, oh, you have this traditional dress you're gonna bring. And I was kind of like, what do I have? And, you know, and so I would sort of seek out, ooh, some Irish ascendancy or some Scottishness, but it took me a long time to realize it's like, it's because everything around you is, is based on what, you know, your experience is modeled for you um, in, in, in that sense, you know, and the only thing, you know, being slightly overweight was my, you know, there's my thing where I felt other out and, you know, sort of not matching it. And I think that's, I mean, that's such an important thing for us all to be reflecting. And the, the challenge is that when people, you know, we confront people who think that there, there isn't this, that the work is all left to, to, to other people that are in the minority. And that's, that's not fair. That's not, you know, that's not just, but also for, for people like me and for my kids as a dad, you know, I have two blonde hair, white looking kids, and I want them to know, you know, what that means and that there is a lot there. And so there's a lot of reflection that has to happen. Like Daniel said, he was forced to do it. Whereas the privilege of not being forced to do it, not being forced to reflect. And that's, you know, when to accept that, that's, that's, you know, that's big. Even here living in Malaysia, where I am the minority, I still have, I still have all the white privilege, you know, um, I have a privilege of this job and all. So it's really important to look at those to sort of know your, your place in the world. And it then frames how you look at history and you look at humanities and how you read and, you know, having all those things. So I think starting from our youngest learners, the more we talk about this, uh, somebody's talking about, oh, it's, you know, talk, do you finally find your identity in, in high school? And I think that's the thing. If we can start early and continue this, you know, in our families and all the way through school that we're just more comfortable to accept that we're all journeying. I like that, that phrase, you know, thank you. That's so powerful there, Chris, because when we were planning earlier around like a professional development or identity and culture sustaining pedagogy, we were grappling, uh, our, our questions were centered around what are some of the harm and the affirming and sustaining practices that we have at school? because that's something that we need to, to grapple with because conversely from your experience to with myself, socialized in the Philippines with a colonized mindset where I see white bodies as the home of success, of beauty and, and intelligence and it, that, those are affirming. Whereas so in, as, as a result of that internal harm, there is the kind of growing trauma around the whole idea that I have to shed so many of these in relation to whiteness. And that is something, is it something we want to perpetuate in our kids or is it something that we want to move back to be able to celebrate who they are, um, given all that they are and without shedding any part of who they are? I think that is a critical responsibility that we have as educators to truly affirm and sustain the identities of our kids. Um, that's our obligation and moral imperative, I think. Dan, would you like to say something? Yeah, thank you, Joel. And to to really build on what you were saying and, and also what Chris mentioned in response to AD's question in the chat about, I mean, developmentally, yes, teenage years are an important time where identities are, you know, there's a lot of identity struggles. That's part of adolescence. Um, so the question isn't necessarily about establishing our identities earlier in life. It's not about establishment. It's about, it's about gaining the tools for exploration and understanding that those tools will serve us very well throughout our lives, well beyond you know, secondary school. So thinking about who, what we want to be, well, if that's in terms of a career, well, we might change our career throughout our lives. What tools do we have to question you know, our competencies, to question our interests and our creativity and our skills? Um, are, are we able to explore and think outside the box and try out different things? So those tools can really be developed early on, but it's just like any skill, it comes with practice. And when students are really practiced um, in using those tools from a young age to try things out and to really inhabit identities and tinker with it, then when they do get to their teenage years, they'll be on more solid footing. They'll have a larger toolkit to deal with those inevitable identity challenges and struggles. 
Yeah, sorry, if I could add to that, I know we're run almost out of time, but um, that, that question I found so interesting. Um, so thank you for that question. And um, having worked with high school students my whole career, um, I do think that identity struggle is, is more of a way to describe how a lot of high school students, students uh, deal with identity. They're trying on different identities and there's a lot of pressure for them to solidify it what I, in, in, in a timeline that I think might be too quick for some of them. They have to figure out where they wanna to go to school. They have to figure out what they wanna study. They have to really figure out who they want their friend groups to be um, because that has bearing on their, their high school experience and possibly their experience beyond. So I think if we can continue that discussion about identity and how it is a journey that doesn't end like Daniel was saying, um, I think it can really help them to continue that journey beyond and understand that they don't have to necessarily choose exactly who they are and fit into a particular box, um, one of several boxes that are being presented to them during that time. Wow, a lot of threads and connections in here. And you can see as well, um, Christina, JC, Melissa, Kim, and Justin have also shared all of your thoughts on the chat. So make sure you, you you visit the chat and have a look at it. And there's a lot of ideas in there from the idea of being stigmatized, the idea of um, developing an identity toolkit. Those are all great ideas that you have in here. Um, I know we're running out of time. We've got about five minutes left. Um, time is not the essence, basically. We can continue a little bit further. But right now, as we wrap up, um, we would like to invite you to our third episode of Vox ISKL and, and make sure you calendar them. Um, it will be on May 9th. And it's going to be with our friend Jessica Wong, uh, vice principal for, um, high school vice principal, United World College of Southeast Asia. And Dan and Jessica have worked closely together. And so there's going to be a very nice thread that will come from the foundational work and understanding that Dan and our panelists, Karen, Chris, and Ebony have shared that, that Jessica is going to build in and deepen um, further. So thanks for that. Um, thanks also, Baya and, and Ange for, for sharing. Um, I think this is a little bit of a closure right now. Um, really, thank you. Um, Signups will be shared. We hope to see you in our next session. Um, thank you very much, Teramakasi and Jumpalagi from here on ISKL. We really thank you. And thanks to Francis and Afika and Crystal who are at the background um, supporting us um, in our work today.